The views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network. Rise up, 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 just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas, with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanna Nelaya, and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the February 15th broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. We're seven weeks deep into 2017 in a state of national chaos. Tonight, we mark this 15th day of Black History Month. We've got a ton of stories to share, and many are bombshells. Speaking of bombshells, our guest this evening is retired New York City Corrections Officer, author, screenwriter, director, producer, and model, Robin <laughs> K. Miller from RobinKMiller.com. Our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Zolo Azania, a former black liberation activist who spent 35 years in prison, 27 on death row. Our abolitionist in profile will be the Honorable Frederick Douglass, born February 14th, yesterday, 1817, the man who fought to establish the emancipation and then denounced it 30 years later. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-510-9025. Listen or call in with web-based flash phone, and you can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com dot com slash I talk radio network uh, just a uh, note the song that you heard and hear every week at the beginning of our program rise up from uh, my own album and uh, and my wife's album in 2008 was listed today in the free times as one of the five great protest songs from the entire Palmetto State once again I'm Max Parthas I know Scotty you can't talk too well right now but what's happening brother how you doing no doubt. I didn't expect too much of my hello. Uh, for those that don't know, Scotty Reed is sick with the flu right now, and Johanan, uh, our other co-host, has been busy in training at his job. So that leaves it just to me tonight and our special guest, Robin K. Miller, for as long as she'd like to hang around with us. We're going to try to provide you with as much information as we possibly can in the time allotted. Um, Robin, if you don't mind just muting your line, I want to introduce you properly in a few moments, okay? Okay. Now, I want to give you the, the perfect introduction, which you never get perfect, but I want to give you a really good one. <laughs> um, I just want to give our listeners some updates on what has been going on uh, in the past week. I've been personally very busy 
And as I mentioned, the Free Times published today that uh, our track from the new abolitionist radio is one of the top five protest songs in the entire state of South Carolina. Uh, recently, I was approached by Al Jazeera about doing an interview regarding the prison labor work strike, which began on the anniversary of the Attica uprising in uh, uh, September 9th and lasted about six weeks. Uh, they came, said they were coming to South Carolina to visit the prisons and asked if I would be willing to do an interview and possibly go into the prisons with them. When I said yes, a couple of days later, they got uh, back to me with a text and said that their uh, right to visit the South Carolina prisons had been revoked. I guess when you mention my name in South Carolina's prisons, they do not want you to come in. So in any case, They'll be in Alabama this Friday with a comrade of ours. So one way or another, they're going to hear the abolitionist uh, movement and our story and what's going on. So they'll be in uh, Alabama visiting the prisons this Friday. Also, just recently, I was involved in a panel discussion uh, out in Florida. Some friends of ours made it, very, made it possible for me to participate, even though I wasn't there physically, <clears throat> which was great. And uh, it was a book release as well. Uh, there is a, a couple, uh, a brother that's in the prisons right now, and uh, I would say young lady, but she's not a young lady. She just turned 80 years old. Happy birthday, Agnes. And Agnes, uh, who are involved in a very strange and unusual way. Uh, the brother who is in prison right now is responsible for the murder of her daughter and her granddaughter. And over the years, they started communicating with each other, with each other and started healing together. And now they just released a brand new book that was uh, came out just last week in Florida, where together they have written stories and poems and uh, published this book. So it's, it's really nice. In any case, they had a panel discussion there that day about criminal justice and reform, and they allowed me to participate. And uh, I think that the what I said that day in regard to the truths going on in the Florida prisons, particularly with the GEO Group and G4S being stationed right there, their headquarters in Florida, will reverberate throughout the system for quite some time. If you get a chance, I will put it on New Abolitionist Radio. You can check it out and hear it for yourself. Um, also, I was in communication with a brother out in Kansas by the name of Ricky Kidd, who is doing a lifetime bid right now as an innocent man, 20 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. The prosecutor who prosecuted him says that he's innocent. The chief of police says that he's innocent. Um, I believe, what I understand, even the mayor says that he's innocent. All the evidence shows that he's innocent. Even the man who was participating, who participated in the murder, has said that this brother wasn't there. And yet, Ricky Kidd is still sitting in prison. He gave me a call and shared some of his poetry with me. Later on tonight, I'll let you hear it. Um, I'm going to also give you some updates later on tonight on the March. Uh, the March on Washington for Prisoners, Millions for Prisoners March on Washington, August 19th. I'll let you know how that is turning out. And I've got a question that was put towards me by some of our listeners, listeners which is how does the 13th Amendment being changed uh, affect prisoners? So I'll try my best to answer that later. All right. Now, in the meantime, let's get to it here. All right. I want to read a little bit about our author. Robbie K. Miller was born in Queens and raised in Brownsville houses in Brooklyn, New York. At the age of 22, she became a New York City correction officer on Rikers Island in the correctional institution for males. 
formerly known as C-76. She worked at various institutions within the correctional department. In 2005, she completed her 20 years of service and retired with an impeccable record and has since penned her memoirs. She has appeared in WABC Channel 7 Nightline, CNN's AC360 Live with Anderson Cooper and CNN Live with Poppy Harlow, and 77 WABC Radio Savage Radio with Dr. Michael Savage. She has a two-page spread in the New York Post by Gary Buiso, I believe it's pronounced. She continued to embark on her career as a screenwriter and director of feature films. She plans to develop a movie and TV series about her experience as a correctional officer. I'd like to welcome Robin K. Miller to New Abolitionist Radio. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am, I can hear you. Welcome to the program. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Thank you. Man, when I I read your story, I I ran across it on Facebook. I don't know how, but I ran across it. I was like, wow, I really want to hear what you've got to say. And I looked at a few of the videos where you were talking about some things, and I made some notes, and I I know that you've seen this up so close and so personal, particularly being a guard at the infamous Rikers Island where Khalif Browder uh, was punished so harshly and then eventually lost his life to suicide. Were you there during his tenure? When he was oh, no. a prisoner then? No, I, no, I wasn't there when he was there. No. No, I was, I was any... retired. I think I was retired by the time he went to prison or went to jail um, when, when he went to Rikers. When that's the norm. Him, is it the norm that has his kids in there, 16, 17 years yeah. old, like that? Yeah, wow. they used to have them when I worked in C-76. It was a mixed building. They had adolescents, adults. They had deep detainees, just sentence inmates, state inmates. We had a mixture of all inmates. Detox, we had everybody in, in that building. But what he experienced is, is that's been going on probably before I came on the job in 1983. It's sad, but the kids, they get beat down. Um, these Some of the officers act like they, I guess they probably treat their kids like that, the way they beat on them. Yeah, we saw the video of the officers abusing him, uh, caught on video, as well as him being in fights with other inmates there as a teenage boy, and then spending two years of his life in solitary confinement, which the U.N. has deemed as torture. We all know it's torture when you put somebody in a box like that 23 hours a day, particularly for a growing mind like a 16- or 17-year-old. It can affect them permanently. I remember him saying that he had a big issue where he would be on the train talking to himself, People couldn't understand why he was having these full conversations with himself. And he said it was because I spent two years of my life in solitary. I was the only one I could talk to. Uh, have you been around a lot of brothers like that? That talk to themselves? Yes, that tend to have that uh, type of uh, a change in their mindset where they have conversations with themselves due to solitary oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, um, not uh, Yeah, well, that's the MOs. We call them MOs, mental observation. Once you go to jail, mental. everybody becomes um, a MO, mental observation. That's what we used to call them, MOs. Once you go to jail, your mind is, 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 is going there anyway. Once you, once you get into solitary confinement, you're basically lost. A lot of them try to keep it together um, so they don't, you know, they, they try to keep it together so the society don't see them like that. But he was, they damaged him. They totally totally abused him. He wasn't just abused by the inmates, he was abused by the officers, 
He probably didn't have a lot of support from the street. It's easy to lose your mind, not even just in, in solitary confinement, in prison, period. Because you're locked yep. up. You lost your freedom. It's like it's, the, it's a claustrophobic type feeling, even for the officers that work there. The officers is, is talk to themselves. It's, it's just as crazy as, 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 as some of the um, prisoners. Wow. Do you find that there are uh, more than a few inmates like Khalif Browder who are in there for the most in, uh, simple of crimes? Like, I believe he was accused of stealing a backpack, and this is how his life ended up after stealing a backpack, which he was never charged with after all. But are there a lot of people, you would say, who are in there for the most ridiculous of things that are treated just as if they were murderers or rapists or hardened criminals? Oh, definitely. See, what people fail to realize is that when you go to Rikers Island, Rikers Island is basically a county jail. Nobody has been convicted in Rikers Island, not unless you're a sentenced inmate. If you're a sentenced inmate, then you only get a year less. Everybody that's on Rikers Island has primarily been accused of a crime. They haven't even gone in front of the judge and finished the judge, jury, trial, or whatever. And I personally right. believe that 50% of the inmates that are incarcerated on Rikers Island and the state facilities are possibly innocent. They just don't have the money, they don't have the resources, and they have an overzealous um, um, prosecutor that's just right. looking to Would lock you... people up for the business of it. What I believe is that once a kid turns 16, 17, I believe they're targeted by the police to go oh. into the system most of them offer them anywhere from I because I, I worked in the courts as well, the correction side of the courts, and I used to listen to the attorneys talk to the kids and the, and and some of them first offense offenses, they offering them twenty, they telling them cop out to fifteen years if you don't, you're going to get twenty five to life. So the kid mm. is scared. Ain't no parents there, nothing, because at that point it's becoming a business. It's like if you take a kid at sixteen and you get them to cop out to 10, 15 years, they're guaranteed that slot in the prison system for them vendors and for, and for, and for them, them rich corporate people to make money. Yes. They're making a business you know, out of jailing out kids. We uh, uncovered some research that showed that in New York State, the uh, state charges as much as $353,000 a year to incarcerate one single teenager. Uh, I don't know where this money allegedly goes, but we have a list of what every state pays to incarcerate teenagers in private facilities or housing them in special facilities. That's In New York, it's $353,000 a year. That's like a bounty on a kid's head, which reinforces what you just said. The police are literally... Uh, uh, inspired by incentives to go out here and capture these young kids and put them in prisons where they become a block of gold, so to speak. And you also mentioned two violations of our Constitution, which happen all the time, and you've seen it with your own eyes, that being the Sixth Amendment, which guarantees you a fair and speedy trial by a jury of your peers, which doesn't exist because 95% of all of the cases in a uh, plea bargain and then the Eighth Amendment, which guarantees that you won't have excessive bail or undue uh, punishment 
and yeah. torture is fetched. And you've seen those things unfold right in front of your eyes almost every day. So those are two regularly broken constitutional uh, rights that we don't even enjoy right now. And people like we just talked about are the ones that suffer at the end of it. I listen and to what they do is, yes, what, what they do is, they try what they do with, I commend, God bless the day, Khalif Browder, what they do is, they know that they 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 wrongfully arrested the person. Cause see, the same thing happened to my nephew. He mm-hmm. laid up on Rikers Island for seventeen months. He was living with wow. me at the time, and they said he robbed somebody on the block. And I knew for sure he wasn't even in the area, cause I had um, custody of him. He was across town. He laid up in 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 on Rikers Island for seventeen months, going back and forth to court, because we didn't have the bail money. And then I found out the kids that did it, when the judge, when the when the when the DA knows that, what they do is they don't want to. If they release you, if they admit that they made a mistake, then they have to pay you. So what they do is they keep adjourning your case and keep mm-hmm. adjourning your case. So and, and what they say is, all right, we'll let you cop out to time served, and we'll give you a misdemeanor so it's not on your record. See, that's what Khalif didn't go for. They call it right. bullpen therapy. So they'll keep bringing you back and forth for year two or three. See, my nephew was 17 months, and my nephew copped out at 17 months because he was tired. He wanted to go home. They had already slashed his face. It's like, you know, you, you get tired of being in jail, and this is how they trap these kids off. Not that just the kids, terrible. the adults too. They, they do that yeah, to the adults, too. They know they didn't do it. They look for somebody in the area. If a robbery happened in your area, and they know you got a robbery, and the police open up your record, who got robberies in this area? They know they have a better chance of arresting you and saying you did it, because if you go to trial, they can get a conviction, because you already got one robbery, robbery on your record. And they know you ain't got no money to get no high-priced lawyers to get out of it. So a case like that, They'll they'll get the the personal cop out because they know they can't fight the judicial system. I, I got a snap over here because you're just dropping them bombs. Just keep dropping them, my sister. I love you. Keep doing it. Just tell the I truth. I got the ultimate bomb before we um, hang up because I'm like right now I'm like I'm really disgusted. I'm getting ready to turn up. Up New York State prisons are far worse than Rikers Island. Now over the weekend. I found out at Great Meadows Correctional Facility, the correctional officers murdered an inmate, and they're covering it up. I've been trying to get a name. They're covering it up. Now, since what I wrote this book, what it's a Great, Meadows, Great Meadows Correctional Facility. It's in right. Comstock, New York. I'm trying to get a name so I can get the New York Times on it. I already spoke to them. I'm ready to, uh, but I can't get a name because the captain threatened them, threatened the inmates over there that they better not say nothing. But at the same time, my nephew's in that building, and I haven't spoken to my nephew in a month. And then I, and and from now here, he's on keep lock, okay, for a phone violation. But I know they've been targeting him since I wrote this book. Now I get a call. Go ahead. Huh? Go ahead. I get a call tonight. I get a call tonight, a text tonight. I'm asking what's going on with my nephew because I've been talking to his counselor. He said it's only a phone privilege 
lost. Like, it's something with the phone. That's why they got him on Key Block. You know what Key Block is, right? Uh, please break it down for our listeners. Key Block is if you get an infraction, like, say, if you jump the line on the phone, on the phone, mm-hmm. they'll they write you a ticket. That's an infraction. Key Block means you say you got to stay in your cell. You don't get no commissary. You can get business. You can't make no phone calls. You'll do maybe like 30 days, 60 days, something like that. You can stay in your cell with all your property and everything. The box is you go into solitary confinement. You get none of your property, maybe your paperwork and stuff. That's it. No, no phone calls, no commissary too. Now, Key Block is a little bit milder because you're still around a whole bunch of people. The box, you're, you're like totally isolated. So I, I'm speaking to the counselor all last week, since the 7th when this happened. Did I hear about the murder on the weekend? And I heard they took somebody's eye out. The officer's out of, out of control over there. And then I called the counselor Monday. He said, no, it's just the same thing last time. It's the phone, something with the phone. With nothing. We haven't gotten anything back yet on what, they, what their decision was. And then I get a text tonight that he got five months in the box, no calls, no visits. No visits? Why no visits? Now, I'm going to be on the phone tomorrow. If, uh, honey, if something happened to my nephew up there where they just had that murder at too, they're going down. That, that's the wrong person to mess with right now because I'm building an army. I, no I understand. Visits. I understand. They, my son's they hiding prison. something. Yeah. They're hiding something. No visits for a phone infraction? Right. Something's not right. I just got that news tonight. Something is not right. And I'm gonna find I'm gonna be on top of it tomorrow morning. I had to like bring my talk myself down to be able to do this interview tonight because I'm like heated. Oh, lady, I can't do Oh, I'm, I'm I've been heated anyway. But man, like I man, said I, I said to my friend tonight, I said, my nephew keep taking one for the team. So they better back my nephew or whatever happens because had them officers not beaten my nephew down in Green uh, in Green Haven, I would have never been able to write about the state which covers the state around the USA. Because prior to that, I, I could only speak about Rikers Island because Rikers Island is the only place I work. Anything else would have been hearsay. But once them officers jumped my nephew in 2014, as I, as I was writing the book, I was able just to put everything in it. He wow. took a beat down so I could help all of these people. They don't understand how deep this is. He took a beat down. They beat him with batons, and they made him refuse medical attention. They had him shook. That's the first time something like that ever happened to him for nothing. Now, if they did something to him this time, he just took another one for the team because he just reinforced why I'm on this mission now. They are murdering these people in these prisons. They just murdered somebody this weekend, and they're covering it up, Com- and they threaten the inmates. And Comstock, they call it Comstock. It's Great Meadows Correctional Facility. I'm going to be their worst know, nightmare. We have had another guest by the name of George Malincroft out of Florida who ri- literally wrote the book called How to Get Away with Murder. It's the story of Darren Rayleigh, who was murdered by guards there where he had his skin boiled off him in a scalding hot shower and then the other prisoners I, I were forced that. to yeah. clean up his skin. 
So we know that this happens way too often. In Florida alone, they have an entire website with 300 and some odd names of uh, mysterious deaths that occur in the prisons themselves and in the jails. So we know if the police are killing 12 to 1400 people every year inside these prison and jail walls where people can't be seen, it's happening on a very uh, larger scale than it is That's happening what I in say. the public. That, exactly. Yeah. I say everybody focusing on the police in the street, but they're not focusing on all those dead bodies upstate that's buried in the woods out up there in, in, in the dungeon. They got dungeons in every jail upstate in New York, and I'm quite sure they got them around the world. Where they yes. killing these inmates because these nobody's going to visit, nobody's going to call. I'm calling nothing. They 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 not speaking to them or nothing. They have no family contact, and they killing them and they burying them in the dungeons. And these other inmates are afraid to speak because they know they're gonna get killed too or tortured. Yes. They killing yes. them. They torturing them. They starving them. They they not even feeding them right now no more. They feeding it them portion sizes of a five year old. It makes you think of slave plantations. It is a plantation. That's what I put in my book. Yes. And some of the correction officers are slaves, too. They don't even get it. The inmates are slaves. Some of the correction officers are slaves. Then you got the masters. And the commissioner, that's that's the master. That's that's the one. And the governors. All of them is down with it. And the thing I can't understand is why is nobody penetrating? Why is nobody really fighting for change inside. It got worse, worse, and worse. Well, I must say that now there are people fighting for change inside. Just like uh, we have this Millions for Prisoners March coming up in Washington, August 19th. We're working with the prisoners on the inside to uh, coincide their uh, work strike along with what we're doing. Um, And it's happening. It's certainly going down. You said some things that I want to touch on, too. Uh, you said you believe that 50% of the people that go into places like Rikers Island are innocent. And yeah, studies have shown that you're absolutely correct, and that's the number that they use, too. 50% of the people who go into these jails are innocent. But they're forced into these uh, guilty pleas to plea bargaining and what you call bullpen therapy. therapy so yep. there's these innocent people are forced to become prisoners and by becoming prisoners, they lose all of their rights as a citizen through the 13th Amendment Exception Clause. Uh, you, at one point in one of your, in, in your interviews, you said that the conditions are so bad that the only prisoners think about all the time is getting out. And you just yeah. point out one aspect of it. Well, they're afraid of dying. They're afraid somebody's going to kill them, uh, yeah. whether it be another inmate or a guard. They're more afraid of the, inma- of the, of the officers killing them than their own inmates. Mm. A lot of them guys behind bars, a lot of those guys, they building their own little families in there because their families are isolating them out in the street. I can't get over that. Families abandoning their people up here. Because my thing is, if they was Michael Jordan or Jay-Z or somebody that had a couple of dollars out in the street and they got locked up for 10 years and that was their family member, they'd be running their ass up there. To see them because they know they got money. It's like, how are you going to leave your... I don't care what they did, whether they're innocent or guilty. That's your blood. You don't leave your blood like that. That's what makes them open season to them racist white correction officers in these state prisons. 
You got majority white correctional officers in these state prisons, and the majority, the majority black black um um inmates. When I yeah. took civil rights attorney Norman Siegel up there, uh, he said he went on a visit floor. He said he don't understand why is all black inmates on the visit floor, and all the officers that's that's, that's running the visits is white. He was at the a loss for words. The same thing yeah. in the courts. When you go to the courts, you see the judge, the prosecutor. 95% of all prosecutors are white. 79% of them are yeah. white men. That is just white with institutional yeah. racism. But when you go in there, you see all these officers of the court who are white, and you see all the plaintiffs who are black. And it puts you right in mind of the same thing we had to deal with in the 1800s, where our courts now yeah, become yeah. nothing more than an assembly line for for-profit prisons or in order to uh, increase the budgets of prisons so these counties and states can have more operating money, create more jobs for Bubba and his friends so they can yeah, come and yeah. be the guard jobs. Indeed. That's all you in the book. That's thing. all in my book, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, for our listeners, please go to robinkmiller.com and make sure you pick up a copy of this book because you're going to want to read it. Um, you also said something else that I want to ask you about, and I have a, a disagreement with you on the way you stated it, but I think we may come to an agreement here. You said that the system is broken and it needs to be fixed. Here yeah. at New Abolitionist Radio, we believe that this system is working exactly as it was planned in 1865 with the 13th Amendment and the Emancipation Proclamation, which immediately transferred it from the individual being able to own people to the state managing the people through convict leasing. And that hasn't ended even up till now because you even have Unicor, which is a $2 billion a year industry that does nothing but provide convict labor. You even got sheriffs now talking about, we'll get our convicts to build Trump's wall. So I propose to you that it's not broken. It's doing exactly what it was meant to do. And because no, it's no, that means it's broken? been broken. It's been broken. It's been broken since the 1800s. It's been. It started out broken. That means it's broken. That means it's not working. But it's broken. That's not fixed. That's not how it should. Have, that's not how it should be. Our, our research has shown us. Just if I might explain, so maybe we can get it. I understand clarity. what you're saying. No, I understand what yeah. you're saying. Is that is designed? Yeah, it's designed for the white folks. It's fixed as far as they're concerned. Right. The ones that's making, making money, money. That's for corporate America that's making money off of it. But that doesn't mean it's not broken. It's been broken. Yes, yes from our perspective, it's, it's, it's been broken. It's, yeah, yeah, it's been broken. It's still, it needs, but, at the end of the day, it needs to be fixed. And regardless of the, whatever word you use for it, at the end of the day, it needs to be fixed. Fixed is reformed. So it needs to be restructured, you, fixed. They had a lot more programs. They had a lot more stuff going on to keep these guys occupied, even with the broken system from before. They done snatched everything away from them now, and now they just sitting in there like wild animals. That's why they're going after each other there, because they have absolutely nothing to do. They're not feeding their minds. They're not feeding their bodies. They're not doing nothing for these guys. They just and, and what they do is they go and they, they let them out just for an hour in the yard or a couple of hours in the yard, and they're in the yard 
just try to kill each other because that's what you do when you ain't your brain is not fed and your body is not nourished. Then you start looking at the next person, and it, and is it is 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 that's that's what where all the violence is coming in from them attacking each other. They ain't got nothing else to feed their mind. Put them to work. Right. Right. They have that's, no uh, way of rehabilitating themselves. They're not getting any yeah. education. They're not getting any uh, anything that make them into a better person at all, even if they're guilty. Because as you said, fifty percent are innocent up in there. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, if you remember back in uh, 1928, there was a cave-in that occurred in a mine, and in that mine in Alabama, there was 145 black men, women, and children who were all killed. Most of them were in that mine via convict leasing, working for the mining company, being leased out by the prisons. And mm -hmm. they were arrested for simple things like vagrancy or uh, mm -hmm. not having a, or whatever the, the black codes would allow at that time. And we mm -hmm. see that reflected in today's efforts. So when they put these individuals in these prisons and they give them nothing to feed their mind, what they're doing is creating reusable resources. Because once you go out... The odds are is within three years, 75% for federal, you'll be right back. Or for state, and 50% for federal, that you'll be right back. So what they're doing now is creating criminals or reusable resources, as they would see it. And some of the prisons literally call those people products. We've heard it in our, with our own ears on the uh, GEO group conference calls where they talk about their quarterly earning reports and refer to prisoners as products. Well, that's why that's why also always say when they get ready to walk out the door, see you when you come back. Right, that's right. That's what my colleagues exactly. say. See you when you come back, because they know mm -hmm. they're coming back. But the thing that they're doing now in the state prison, not necessarily on Rikers, which I didn't know was going to stay. They took all the meat off the menu in the state prisons. They they feeding them soy now. What they're doing is they're taking away the, the, the muscle mass from these black men in these prisons so they don't bust, they bust them upside their heads. That's what they're doing wow. in the state prisons. The portion size is, I'm saying, literally of a five-year-old. They're in there starving. Some of them is saving toothpaste, especially in the box. They're saving toothpaste because they're hungry at night. They're feeding them slop. They feed them, and because if you, I don't know where, where, where are you, where are you, you in South Carolina? Yes, ma'am. Right? I'm in the heart of the South, right here in the capital. I don't know if it's like that where you're at, but in New York, I remember when a guy went to jail, and he came out, you knew he was in jail because the way he was bulked up. Now when they come out of jail, they look like they was crackheads. Wow. And again, they deliberately starving them. That's torture. That is torture. That's an Eighth Amendment violation that's happening all day, every day, all across yep. America. And we've got all of these advocates out here talking about the Constitution, but the things that affect us the most, they act like they cannot see, like these violations of the Eighth, the Sixth, and the Fourth Amendment, and even the Fifteenth and Fourteenth Amendment violated. Uh, it is a terrible circumstance that we are finding ourselves in. There was another question that I wanted to ask you, uh, Miss Miller. Oh, would you prefer Robin or Miss Miller? Whatever you want to call me, you call me Robin. It's okay. All right, Robin. Whatever you feel comfortable calling me. You said that there is more problems with the guards than there are with the inmates. Now we've had other prison guards who have come on before and tell us stories about how 
the guards had been trained to go in and rile up prisoners in order to get them in infractions and put them in the hole. Um, they, they were taught how to do this. They would go and do it on a regular basis. And much uh, uh, later on, we researched to find out what were some of the things that was pushing this to happen. And we found out that the prisoners get more money if a prisoner is in solitary confinement as much as $28,000 more a year than they do in general population. So it was possibly uh, profit motivated as we see solitary confinement rise up by as much as 13% in a single year. And it's continuing to rise. Now, I, I want to ask you, when you said there's more problems with the guards and the inmates, could you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, my 20 years, I have, in, and I work with the men, solely with the men. From the adolescents up until, up until grandpa's age. I rarely had a problem with a male prisoner. They listened, they were respectful, and they protected me. And I protected them. Made sure nobody bust them upside their head and while they was in my custody. As a matter of fact, I got in. Uh, a guy was offended online when I referred to them as my inmates. Yeah, you. My job as a correction officer is care, custody, and control. Care, custody, custody. You in my custody, so you my prisoner. I'm not gonna let another officer come come up to you and bust you upside your head when you in my custody. Because if you in my custody and something happens to you, then I can lose my job. The problem is, see, people fail to realize. A correction office, a job in, in the correction department is just like any other job in any other office with the office politics. It's like you put a uniform, if you work in, in the McDonald's and you just put a uniform on everybody, the way they treat, you see how some people treat customers, treat customers bad, mess with the food, you know, sleep with the boss, want to fight this one. Yes. It's the same thing with correction officers. If, if, my thing is if correction officers focus on their job versus the office politics and the gossip and the sex and the drugs, then they might be able to correct because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to correct. We're supposed to reform. And that's not what's going on inside the prison. The correction officers, it, they made my life a living hell. I had to literally go to work every day and watch my back. And the sad part about it is it was my own people, and primarily the female officers, with the with the petty jealousy and the gossip and the I didn't come to work for that. Oh, who she's sleeping with? What's it? Nobody come to work for that. I came to work to work, get make my money and go home, take care of my kids. So wow. the problem the problem is not the inmates for me. Now my story may not be somebody else's. But and, and as a matter of fact, my first year and a half on the job, I got beat up by a male officer. I had totally forgot about it too. And I remember when, when I year. got beat, my first year and a half, I got beat up on the Annex Lower Gate in that C seventy six New York City Correctional Institution for Men by a male officer, on while I was on my post, and they covered it up. I was in shock. All I know is. I came out of the incident with a fractured finger and blood on my face. And I blocked it out for about over over 20 years until I did my first interview and the lady asked me for proof that I worked on Rikers Island and I found that report. I kept that report. 
And when I read that report, I was fuming because I was in my 20s. And my only concern back then was I needed a job. Like, I wanted to work. So even when the guy beat me up, and at the end of the day, the reason why he beat me up because he wanted to get with me. That was At the end of the day, that's what it was all about. He got turned down, and he found a way to take something so small as a verbal, a verbal dispute, and, and, and next thing you know, I'm bloody with a fractured finger. Man, so, you have really uh, exposed some things to light, and I have to thank you very much for doing so. Uh, you're not... Uh, when you said that this is my story, may not be other stories, from our experience here with others who have been in positions that you have, it is very much uh, the same story. If you stand up for any principles or anything that's right, you are ostracized and even brutalized uh, at some points as you said you were there. Um, it is really uh, a condition of inhumanity going on. And it reminds me very much of the Stanford Prison Institute study well, I mean, the Stanford uh, study where they had students put on prison guards and, and uh, others wore prisoners' guard, and for seven days they played the role, and they had to cut it short because people got so deeply into it. So it seems like mm -hmm. it's either go with the flow of that badge and uniform, or if you stand up oh, and yeah. kind of write some principles, you're in trouble. Max, um, I don't know if you can hear me, but you have a call on the board. See, we're trained in the academy. Hello? Yes. I think yeah. Scotty was we're trying to say something, but he broke up. I see yeah, you I see have called on the board. Max. We're trained in the academy that they're the enemy. That dawned on me that after I... Yeah, that the inmates are the enemy. So we're going in. That's what we had karate classes and all of that. The, the, you know, they're teaching us how to basically fight them like they're the enemy. So you going in with the mindset that everybody in Rikers Island, I ain't talking about sentence inmates, I'm talking about people that just been arrested, haven't been right. in front of the judge yet, haven't, oh, haven't been in the decision. Hello? Yes, we're, um, we're still on air. Can you can all hear me? Okay. Yes, I was trying to let hey, you know I was trying to let you know you have a call on the board, but I think they hung up now. Oh, okay. I'm sorry about that. I wasn't paying attention to the board. If you want to <laughs> call in and ask a question, I'm going to uh, make that available for you shortly. I just want to uh, finish speaking with Ms. Miller and give her the opportunity to say anything that she wants to say, and then we'll open up the board for callers in just a few minutes, okay? So uh, if you, you'd like to ask a question, just hold on, and we'll get right to you. So as you were saying, Robin? What was I saying? I forgot. <laughs> oh, they teach, us, they teach us that the inmates, that the prisoners, yes, are the, the ones that have just been accused, of just only accused of a crime, are, are the enemy. So you going in. You got to remember, you. well, for me, I was in my 20s. Most of the people that came on in the 80s with me were in their 20s. And we had a thing, hide in your 20s, retire in your 40s. So we're just years shy of teenagers anyway. Mm -hmm. And most of most of us ain't even mature anyway. We still growing into ourselves in our twenties. And they giving us a badge and they giving us guns and, and uniforms and, and giving us authority to go in and and, 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 and and be in control of people. And and the worst for me watching, especially in my first year, because you can't say nothing, is is the male ego. 
on top of the male ego. The male prisoners, the male officers. The male officers coming to work flexing just to belittle and degrade their fellow man. The overseers. I've seen beatdowns. My first, the first beatdown that I, I that I that traumatized me even till now was of an adolescent. His name was Dead Eye, and the crazy part about it is he was my prisoner. I was taking him in the hallway with a bunch of prisoners to to, to eat breakfast five o'clock in the morning. He did absolutely nothing because I read them the ride act before we left, and I watched my union rep pull him off the wall, pull him off my line, and they beat him to almost to death. I seen a blood squirting out the top of his head. Wow. That same white union rep wind up working his way all the way to the top. I didn't say nothing when he when they was beating him down. It was like it's almost like an unwritten rule. Don't even say nothing. You'll lose your job. I didn't even say nothing. Right. I was traumatized after that. But I used to tell the inmates before we left, we get in that hallway, you look forward. Don't you you know how your mother used to tell you when you leave the house? Better act up when we get out in the street. I'm like, yeah, but that's how I used to read them before we even left. Don't give them a reason, because a lot of times officers would go in there just to beat them down so they could be out of work for about. Because we used to get a year, a year. Um, we could sell for a whole year, full pay. So a lot you know, of times they, they come to work, the they want a year the out. Same thing. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the film called "Do Not Resist," an award-winning film. But in no, that film, they. You you haven't seen it? No. Okay, you should put it on your list of films to see. It's very much a must-see, and it tells you where we're going and where we're at. But in that film, they have this uh, person who teaches the police the very same thing that you just said about what they teach the prison guards, that the people that you're dealing with are the enemy, and you have to go in like some kind of superhero ready to kill anything that moves in order to protect your life. So we're looking at innocent people from the perspective of a prison guard and from the police as potential murderers. And we're acting like that. Like, this little 14-year-old girl might kill you, so you need to shoot her first. That 90-year-old man that just got out of his car with a cane might have a rifle, so you need to shoot him first. And this is creating almost a a monster's mentality within law enforcement and within prisons. Well, first of all, they need to go into... When they hired... When when I came on, they hired anybody because nobody wanted the job. And a lot of these officers was head cases. They had issues that weren't resolved from their own childhoods. Yeah, especially the male officers, they were very abusive. And they well, is a lot of them is, is even worse now. Upstate, the white males, male officers, they it's like they hate the black males, almost like they jealous of them. And they want to challenge them and humiliate them and just 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 bully them and beat them down and degrade them to make themselves feel better. Because they know they can't do that. See, upstate, they carry batons. On Rikers Island, we don't carry nothing. They started giving them gas and stuff before, but when I came on, we had some some little alarm that don't even probably work. Hey, hey Robin? You had to get to the gab. Uh-huh. Would you be willing to take any questions at this time? Yeah, come on, let's go. All right, well, 973, uh, we got you on the line. Your line is open. If you have a question or comment, please state your name, where you're calling from, and what it is. Yes, hi, ma'am. My name is Jersey Girl. I'm calling from New Jersey. I'm right next door to you. I think maybe you do live 
store. But there used to be a show. I'm sure. I, when did you retire? Uh, are you still working on Rikers Island? No, I retired in 2005. Okay, so I don't know if it was a show on. Do you remember that show called Real Talk, Real Time with, um, I forgot the guy's name. He just, I don't yeah. know. He, yeah, yeah. He used to have a show to come on every, uh, I think it was Fridays. Real Talk, Real Time. And it kind of gave an insight of what was going on Rikers Island in terms of, um, of, of the treatment of the inmates and the treatment of the, 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 um, of you guys. I mean, the way in which he kind of pivoted the program was that he wanted to show that you guys do get, you know, feces thrown in your face. I don't need to be so graphic. And, and a lot of things happen to you on that, uh, on that island with respect to the inmates. I mean, you know, it shows another perspective because I never would have thought about that like that because I'm thinking that, you know, I'm sure that, like you just said, ma'am, that there's a lot of politics that goes on in your, in, in, uh, on Rikers Island. And sometimes you have to probably be a part of it to go along to get along. So my my question to you is, I mean, is it twofold? I mean, I think it should be worked on both ends, or that you, maybe you guys should establish more relationships with, not relationships, but more. I know it was always care, custody, control, and that's what he implemented on the show. But just sometimes did you feel like you were kind of like, when you go to work every day, did you ever feel like, would you come home? Did you ever feel like, Oh my God! I really have to be on uh, on guard twenty four seven. Why I'm there? I mean, did you ever feel that? Um, I mean, I know everybody wasn't doing the job like they're supposed to, but do you think things can be more worked out where there should be like maybe psychological testing? Because I remember calling into um, Michelle talking more about psychological testing of the of the uh, correction officers in terms of well, that. I hated, you know, I hated the job. Not because of the inmates. See, I didn't have the problems with the inmates. It was the officers. I, I, I wanted to quit every day because the officers now, gave me a work, hard time. Wait a minute, let me finish. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me, I'm sorry. Let, me, let, me, let me finish. When it comes to an inmate throwing feces and, 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 and all of that, you got two, you, you got more than two, but I'm going to give you two situations. Number one, if an inmate is throwing feces and urine, something's wrong with him psychologically. So he's a mental observation person. He's psychologically, something's going on with him psychologically because that's not normal. And then you got, you got other circumstances where these officers are antagonizing these inmates mm -hmm. and humiliating them and breaking them down to the lowest common denominator and they disgusted. Because the, worst thing, the, the worst thing they could do to a person is take their freedom. So once you take them, their freedom, why are you torturing them on top of it? They already got to deal with the fact that their freedom is gone. When you constantly antagonizing and humiliating and degrading a person, they turn animalistic. It becomes a sort of revenge. Then you putting them in a in a in solitary confinement, especially if they do. If inmates tell you go f yourself, you can't beat them down. That's what they doing though. You can't go and be. They talk about your mother. You can't beat them down and put them in solitary confinement. That's what they're doing. And that's wrong because that's against our own rules and regulations. Yes, the ones that communicate with these inmates, with, these, with their prisoners, they don't have those problems. Not unless it's a mental observation person or not unless that inmate wants to take it out on you with another officer. That's another thing. You got a lot of these goon squads, they don't even work in there with the inmates. 
They go in just to beat up inmates, and then they go back and sit in the office, and then now you got the other officers that's out there doing their jobs. Now they they got to catch the brunt of, 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 of Joey that just beat them down, and, and, and they mad. So now all officers is, 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 is the enemy. It's like it's a, a lot of different situations, but the ones that carry themselves professionally that speak, you got to talk to these inmates. You can find out what's going on and don't judge them. You know, regardless of whether they're in there, guilty or innocent, just let them do their time. Just do your job. Can right. I ask you another question, please? Sure. Um, do you th- I don't think Rikers should be closed down. There are a lot of African-American people, I mean, uh, employees there who work, who work there, and I'm sure they do a doggone good job because, you know, yes, um, they do. We, you know we have a station here in, uh, in New York, the number one station that comes on, and a lot of people are calling for Rikers to be closed down, and I don't think that's right. <laughs> you know, they say, you know, yeah, they say, do you think, right, you know, every time when the incident happens, do you think Rikers? No, I don't think it should be closed down. I think that, as you stated, that there should be reforms, there should be a different thing set in place, but, I mean, the prison, I mean, jail has been there for a long time. Why haven't they gotten it right yet? What I say is not about prisons. It's about slavery. No, what I say is Rikers Allen needs an exorcism. They need to take everybody off, (laughs) do an exorcism, and then put them back in there. And then they need to (laughs) they they need to fix those. Wait, they need to fix those officers. It's not the it's not the building. Hello. Yes, I'm here, ma'am. It's not the building. It's the people. So you're going to take close Rikers. I got a question for those that want to close Rikers. Okay, that's their fight. That's not my fight. You want to close Rikers, we're going to put the image. You still got bad people out there. You can still exactly. got people that's, that's already ruined from the system or ruined from their childhood. They don't have the opportunities we had growing up as kids. They're already ruined. So where are they going to go? Now, are they, exactly. are they, all these people, are these people that stay in close Rikers, are they going to put them in their backyard? Do they have a place for them to go? Where are these prisoners going to go? Because you still got, but the bad guy is still out there. Everybody's not good. That's just not how the world is set up. Exactly. Everybody's not, everybody is not innocent. And my thing is karma happens too. Some people get away with it and some people don't. So where are you going to put them? And then when you do find a place to put them, you're going to put the same officers with them. Exactly. That was beating them up. You want to transfer all that over to another location? You just build That's a new their building. Fight. That's not mine. That's not my fight. That's their fight. You need prisons. It's unfortunate, but you got bad people out there. What they need to do is they need to. I'll fix. I'll put a solution in the book on how to fix it. I wrote it in my movie on how to fix it. Mm. You got to start from the top. You got to fix the administration first. You start on the top. My thing is, I don't blame the officers. I blame the top from the from the governor on down. Because right. if they do, if the officer ain't doing their job, it's all the way up with them failure to supervise. Because if you watch the, some of the captains that we had, because that's like that used to be the, the rank over an officer in corrections, they wouldn't even come in or they come and sign the book and leave. They don't know the officer that's working there. They don't know what's going on in the housing area. They just listen to whatever the officers say. And a lot of officers, you can't give them that power. They just go, they go crazy with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of power. So they, no, they uh, need to fix it from the top down. 
Jersey girl. Thank, if, if you, thank you so much. I, 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 she really answered a lot. Thank you so much Good. for giving me this time. Thank okay, you for calling in. You uh, take, take care. Thank you. I see we have we have another line open seven four zero from uh, North Ohio. You're on the line, New Abolitionist Radio. Please state your name, and comment. We got about five minutes before our break, so if you could squeeze it in that time, it would be great. Seven four zero. Put my book to it. Yes. Please, this is Tony Crane. Um, yeah, I um, you know what? I'm from the Bronx, so I mean, I'm I'm pretty familiar, you know. Obviously, family, friends, in and out of Rikers Island. Um, but I had a question when I was younger. I had a family member that was on the boat. What I I never really understood. I mean, was was the boat? I mean, and um, Miss um Miss Robin was the boat is like an extension. I mean, what is the deal? Because it wasn't yeah, even it was on. It wasn't even on Rikers Island. You know what I'm saying? I was like, what? yeah, it was, it was like, yeah, because I, it's probably at a time when it was overcrowded. So they decided to take the boat and make it a jail. It was another jail. It was probably I mean, the time it was overcrowded. Then once the population dropped, as far as crime goes, then they closed the boat. I don't know if it's open now, but yeah, that was just a jail. Just like you had the borough house. Remember, you had the Bronx house, the Queens house, the Brooklyn house, right? The borough jails, yeah. So no, it's just another. It was just another jail. I've never understood that either. And and Max, but it was for uh, low minimum. That, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say that that three hundred and fifty three thousand dollar a head number mm-hmm. is just insane. I mean, it's it's a business. And I, I'm about mm-hmm. to move back to New York. In two, day, in two days, I'm moving back to New York. And it's mm. like, you know, you gotta, I gotta protect myself at all times. I mean, I do anyway, yes. but I'm they're not, I'm not trying to get set up. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. it, it's crazy. They they, they right. look at us at our skin and they're like, well, they, they, there's one. You know what I'm saying? I stay in the house. So, no doubt. <laughs> Tony, I want to thank you for calling in, brother. I want to give this uh, an opportunity for uh, Miss Miller to address the audience in any way that she wants to, to promote your book and your plays as well. Be sure to visit robinkmiller.com, where you can find a lot out about her as well as purchase a book, I believe. But, uh, yeah, Robin, it's on Amazon as well. Excuse me? Is there anything that you would like to leave with our audience? Yeah, on, uh, April, yeah, on April 6th, I'm starting my book tour. Um, I'm going to be at the Justin Memorial Church from 6 to 9. It's 239 Thompson Street. It's in Manhattan. It's right next door to um, it's right next door to NYU, New York University. That's the activist community. That's on uh, April 6th. It's a Thursday from 6 at night to 9. It's like my coming out, my coming out party book tour, it's going to be music, it's going to be food, it's like it's going to be a big a big event, I'm going to have speakers, it's only three hours, but um, I'm going to be doing my book signing there as well, and possibly a reading as well, it's going to be taped and everything else, it's, it's, it's going to be nice, but I'm now, awesome. I'm, I'm starting to get out there, and then I'm going to start hitting the different states, and I'm supposed to be at Columbia University between March 2nd and March I'm still trying to confirm that, but I'm getting ready to go on this major, major. So it's time now because I have to make change, and it's like it's people are working, but nobody's penetrating. Nobody is actually getting change done inside the jails, and I have mm-hmm. to bring attention to this modern day plantation that's going mm-hmm. on behind bars. Because see, 
they're not really listening to people that don't didn't work inside. Like I'm the only one that, as as far as officer goes, that had an impeccable record, that didn't get fired, that speaking and speaking the truth from right. behind the, the prison walls. So people are listening, and I'm telling the truth, and I'm keeping it real. It ain't about yes, selling no books. It's about making change because this is ridiculous. They are torturing our people behind bars. It's wrong. And it's not just black people either. It's White all, people, Spanish people, in. you go to jail, you're going to get, especially if you go to these state facilities worldwide. Rikers Island is a girls, is a girls club compared to these state facilities with the, where they burning the skin and they're and they beating you with the batons and taking your eyes, sucking out and all of that. Nah, Rikers mm-hmm. Island is nothing. That's a girls' club compared to what's really going on upstairs. People are starting to talk, so Rikers Island got a lot of focus on them. And it's, it's unfortunate because there's a lot of good officers, a lot of good officers on Rikers. But it's, it is a, it's a small community of bad officers, but they make it so bad that the good officers can never shine. Right, People look at right. us like we inmates. I used to hate just saying I was a correctional officer. I would just say officer. And pray they think it's police because even though it's not right. much better, but correction it just it just you know they look at you like you're inmate. The the prejudice yes, yes, of it ma'am. all. Well, Robin, I want to thank you for being a part of our program, and I hope this is not the last time we want to get you back on after you finish your book uh, release. And also for Jersey Girl and Tony Crane, since you're in the area, make sure you go down to her book release and and take a picture for us and send it in to us Wait, so we can and get it. The movie's coming up too. I got the movie and, and the TV movie? series, Rock Island. Yeah, I already wrote the script, Rock mm-hmm. Island and the TV series. I'm take, I'm going all the way. And if, if if people can go to the D Brown Project, I have a um, covert um, um, watchdog. We're gonna start reporting these officers. We're gonna start putting them on blast and all these institutions worldwide. It's called the D Brown Project, and everybody's name is hidden. Nobody, I don't want nobody out there in the forefront but me. So when they sign up, nobody knows who they are. We're not marching. It's about our pen, our piece of paper, and a stamp. When these officers start doing something, we're going to get names, and we're going to start flooding institutions, attorney generals, and everybody, and put these put them on notice, social media and everything. That's how we're going to be effective. Yes, That's ma'am. the deepbrownproject.com. The so, deepbrownproject.com. No the deepbrownproject. The the the. Okay, the my nephew, the D right. Brown Project. Okay, the D, I understand. The D, uh, yeah, they can the sign D up. Brown I'm Project. the only one that has access to their email address. They're going to get a pen number, and everything is covert. Nobody knows who they are because people are afraid. I get it. Well, I get it because uh, you'll be targeted if you speak up. But I know you got to go. Ms. Miller, I just wanted to say that I wish you all uh, the best with your nephew and what you're going on. Don't let that anger ebb. Use it as a tool, but I don't think I need to tell you that. You were already done so. (laughs) (laughs) Use it, because that's what I do as an artist. And uh, please, for our listeners, make sure you pick up Inside the Dark Underbelly of Rikers Island, a retired female correction officer speaks out. Robin K. Miller at RobinKMiller.com as well as on Amazon. And find out what her answer is, how to fix these prisons, which is within those pages of her books. Thank you so much for being a part of the program, Robin. We certainly appreciate you, and we're looking forward to talking to you again. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a blessed day, and we'll talk to you soon. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. We're going to take a few station identification uh, breaks, and we'll be right back after these messages. Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina-based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and look for the menu tab, Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. And welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Again, I want to thank our guest, Robin K. Miller, for participating in tonight's program. Um, I want to get on to another story real quick, and then we're going to open up the lines for other calls again. Um, and this, I feel like this is an important story that you need to know, and uh, it really reflects on the efforts that we are putting here, just putting together here at New Abolitionist Radio. We're in a very unique position where we get to look at these stories from every angle. We get to see the, as you're seeing, the prison guards and, and their experiences. We get to see the GEO Group's executive officers and the CCA executive officers and what they're talking about. We see it from the governmental aspect, the state aspect, the local aspect, and just all around. So we get a much broader picture. And by you listening in, you too get a much broader picture. You know, a couple of years ago, we started talking about, well, if we can't get them to have a constitutional convention to remove the 13th Amendment, then maybe we should start addressing these issues through RICO charges, which is racketeering charges. And as you know, if you listen to this program, we've had several victories on that level, including Alabama's for-profit private probation companies, which were charged with RICO charges and found guilty and ran out of the whole state. So they had offices in 115 cities in Alabama, and now they have none. So we have seen some victories on that level. And here's another one I want to tell you about today. This comes out of MSN News Now, and it's in regards to circumstances in Jackson, Mississippi. For those that are longtime listeners, you know that we have been reporting on Mississippi's corrupt prisons now, uh, even before uh, the longest-running commissioner in the state history, uh, Christopher Epps, was arrested and charged uh, on multiple counts, which led up to about 368 years of prison time he was facing, along with his cohorts there in the city, uh, one who was at the time uh, of Christopher Epps being arrested and him was a federal, was a judge 
a lawmaker, and when he was arrested, he was the president of the Board of Education, and he was working with Christopher Epps, the commissioner of the prison, feeding him these contracts, which were no big contracts that they were getting kickbacks on. Anyway, here's our story today as a follow-up. Attorney General Jim Hood held a news conference to announce actions taken in the Mississippi Department of Corrections prison bribery scandal Wednesday at 11 a.m. This would be last week. Hood announced that he had filed 11 civil RICO lawsuits against all corporate and individual conspirators in the prison bribery scandal. Attorney General Hood is seeking damages and punitive damages against the following people and corporations. Former Mississippi Department of Correctional Commissioner Chris X, Cecil McCrory, the man I just spoke about, that's his name, who was a uh, the head of the Board of Education at the time, Robert Simmons, IRB Benjamin, Sam Wagoner, Mark Longoria, Teresa Malone, Carl Reddix, Michael Reddix, Andrew Jenkins, Management and Training Corporation, the GEO Group Incorporated, Cornell Companies Incorporated, Wexford Health Sources Incorporated, the Bantry Group Corporation, Brannon Medical Corporation, Drug Testings Corporation, Global Tell Link Corporation, Health Assurance LLC, Keithy Commissary Network, and for my people out in Missouri, they know all about Keithy LLC, Sentinel Offender Services LLC, and AJA Management and Technical Services Incorporated. Remember those names because these are all people who are involved in slavery and human trafficking and committing crimes against humanity recognized all over the world. The state of Mississippi has been defrauded through a, a pattern of bribery, kickbacks, misrepresentations, fraud, concealment, money laundering, and other wrongful conduct, Attorney General Hood said. These individuals and corporations that benefited by stealing from the taxpayers must not only pay the state's losses, but state law requires that they must also forfeit in return the entire amount of the contracts paid by the state. We are also seeking punitive damages to punishment uh, to to punishment these conspirators and to deter those who might consider giving in or receiving kickbacks in the future. According to the lawsuit, multiple corporations, including prominent private prison contractors, paid millions of dollars in so-called consulting fees to individuals who then used those fees to pay bribes and kickbacks to Epps. Based on those bribes and kickbacks, Epps awarded, director, directed, or extended approximately $800 million in public contracts to those private prison contractors. To date, Epps, McCrory, Simmons, Benjamin, Wagner, and Longoria have pleaded guilty to their involvement in the conspiracy. Attorney General Hood alleges that the defendants violated Mississippi's public ethics, racketeering, and antitrust laws, along with several other claims. The Attorney General is seeking compensatory, com compensatory and punitive damages, as well as forfeit of all the funds received by the individuals and corporations that were involved in those conspiracies. Out-of-state corporations were eager to take advantage of Mississippi taxpayers and secure MDOC contracts through bribery and fraud. It is critical for this state to use the remedies at its disposal to recover damages and get money 
exchange in these schemes, Attorney General Hood said. I have a duty to protect the integrity of the public contracting process as well as vindicate the rights of the state when it is a victim of public corruption and other wrongful conduct. You can find that article on New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook. I just want to say that at no point in this article did anyone mention anything about the victims who are being arrested or propped these prisons in Mississippi through debtor's laws and criminal uh, criminalizing their livelihoods or their lives or just being black, they are not mentioned anywhere in this article. The state is seeking damages to get this money back, but the people who have suffered, the human beings that have suffered, are not even worth considering, according to this article. I just want to point that out. Now, if you want, I'll open up the phone lines. If you have a question or comment, just unmute yourself and uh, state your name, where you're calling from, and what your question or comment is. All right. I see that uh, we don't have any right now on that. Well, I guess um, I'll talk a little bit more about that. You know, we've been talking about this Christopher Epps case now for almost two years. We said here on New Abolitionist Radio two years ago that it was time to bring in the National Guard to protect the people. Yes, sir? You do have a caller. Oh, okay. Uh, Caller, uh, you're on New Abolitionist Radio. Go ahead and state your name and where you're calling from and what your question or comment is. It's just me again, Tony Crane. Um, Hey, Tony. And you know what? You you can actually go ahead and expound on what you were were about to say, honestly. I I wasn't really going to say much. I was just going to pretty much agree with you that it's it's, um, quite disturbing that they never mentioned any of the people that were harmed by all of those kickbacks and all of that, that dirty scoundrel you know, that that filth that they did over the years to so many people. I mean, I, they need to go to jail. You know what I'm saying? They need to go to prison. That's all of those all of those filthy rich people that just made money just throwing lives away. I mean, it's craziness. Right. It's, it's, they do to, to go to prison. They should be charged with crimes against humanity, slavery, and human trafficking. But the state is not even considering them. It's as if they don't exist. Like, they're just collateral damage that happened along the way. And these are people's lives and livelihoods that we're talking about. At one point, just a couple of years ago, a federal judge came down into the youth detention facilities in Mississippi and declared that there were a cesspool of constitutional violations. Now, that is not mincing words. He said that he had seen uh, evidence of child rape uh, where they were, you know, 12, 13 years old being ripped, gang raped by young boys and even incidents where the guards themselves were molesting children. They were living in squalor and filth. Uh, They weren't being fed, as Robin pointed out. They were bird-feeding them in order to save money and cut corners and things like that. And uh, we called for the National Guard to be called out at that time because the citizens of Mississippi are at great risk due to the ineptitude and the indifference of the governor and everyone down from them. This is a scandal that is epic in proportions. We're talking about a billion dollars that has been funneled out of that system and into other people's pockets using nothing less than human beings as capital. And 
mm-hmm. not looking at their lives as worthy of saving or worthy of helping, but it's just, as I said earlier, acceptable losses that aren't even worth mention. We can't stand for that. And I still stand on the fact that we should call out the National Guard right now to uh, take the governor out of office, to take all of these police chiefs out of office, to get rid of the wardens throughout the uh, prison system, and put in somebody temporary until we can find out what's going on here and to keep the citizens of Mississippi safe. You know what, Matt? Am I still, can you still hear me? Yes, sir. Oh, I, you know, I was talking to my uh, a good friend of mine, and I mean, this might seem like it's off subject, but if you if you actually think about what I'm saying, it makes a very good point. I think most of the people, either I mean, most of the people are are unaware. Period. Uh, we all know that. But then you have the other people that may hear about things of this nature. But you know they're so focused on everything else like TV and movies, and what they see on the television they think is real. They watch things like Orange is the New Black, and they think that's actually how the prison system is, because that's what they see on television. You know what I'm saying? Nobody, they have absolutely no other. Um, they have nothing else to to contradict the this fiction that they see on television. They think that's how how prison is. Oh, prison's not that bad. No, prison is. It's a, it's slavery for real, you know. These people are making a lot of money, like you said, off off of the skin and the the lot. They're they're destroying whole families, whole legacies, lines are children are destroyed, whole families are destroyed for decades. You know what I mean? And nobody realizes this because they're all conditioned by television, music, and whatnot. You know, they just don't know, and they don't care at the end of the day. Yeah, Robin uh, touched on that in her conversation as well, uh, that, you know, they're just conditioned to follow these uh, ways of acting, and as well as once people go into these prisons themselves, they get forgotten. People automatically assume that if you're in a jail, you must have did something wrong to deserve to be there, and they write you off as if your life is meaningless. And she pointed out that 50% of the people in there are innocent in these jails like Rikers Island. And when we talk about jails, we're not talking about a few people. You know, people say 2.4 million prisoners in prison, but the jails are so much more. Every year, 13 million people go through our jail system. That is far in excess of 2.4 million people. 13 million and 50% of them are innocent. All of them are expected to be innocent until proven guilty, but that is not how they are treated, as was explained here on New Abolitionist Radio tonight. And you know, the conditioning of those to just stand by and watch, it's just, it's just terrible. Silence is violence. And I've got another story that will be a, a, an example of that. Uh, one of the worst examples you can possibly imagine. Uh, was there anything you else want to ask, or you want to continue to listen? No, brother. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, my ears are wide open. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you this story that came out recently about a Texas cop who raped a prisoner, and then the entire department watched it. And at the end of the video, he offered the victim a taco instead of reporting any assaults. This comes. Uh, it says that a Texas cop raped this prisoner on video while the entire department watch. 
Now the victim is suing the town of 4,000 residents for $5 million. The tiny border town of La Joya has only has a total of 11 police officers, and seven active officers have been named in the lawsuit, including the current chief. La Joya's former chief is also a named defendant. Even after several high-ranking La Joya cops now named in the complaint knew about their office, officer's sexual assault of Autumn Renee, after witnessing footage from the jail's video surveillance cameras, the officers never transported the victim to a medical facility. They also failed to give her an on-site examination or even a welfare check. But they did offer her a taco. Video footage of the savage assault was recorded on La Joya's police's surveillance camera, May 29, 2014. Those who've seen the video footage say Felipe Santiago Perlez III made contact with Autumn 49 times, which left her with severe injuries after he repeatedly forced his fingers, hands, and other objects into her vagina and anus. Perlez pleaded guilty in October of 2015 to official oppression and to violating the civil rights of an inmate. He was sentenced. You know, I, I barely can get this out of my mouth without wanting to spit. He was sentenced to 180 days in jail after he was caught on video committing sexual assault 49 times. 180 days in jail for sexual assault on video 49 times. The victim is using a pseudonym, Autumn Renee, to protect her identity and inform the Georgia Police Department supervisors inside the jail. She was repeatedly invaded and raped the night she was arrested on misdemeanor charges. On misdemeanor charges. And she's not a criminal felon. These were misdemeanor charges that led to her being raped 49 times by a policeman while everyone around him in that office knew what was going on and had saw the videos and never even reported so now she's looking for $5 million. Lawyers for the rape victim are suing the Texas cop who raped her and his superiors, claiming they failed to follow protocol standards established in the Fifth Federal Prison Rape Elimination Act. Um, I'm not going to read the rest of this story because this just makes me want to just, just, oh, man, you know how I feel. You certainly know how I feel. You can find the entire story on New Abolitionist Radio. We can read it for yourself. But that's an example of how this good old boy network works you got a couple of evil people, three or four evil people, and out of 10 or 11, and everybody else just stands aside and let them do what they do. I remember talking one time to Ken Williams, former uh, police officer out of San Francisco and whistleblower, and he informed me that basically 15% of the police forces across the entire United States are criminal, involved in criminal conduct, corrupted. And then you have another 15% who stand against them uh, vocally and forcefully to the best of their ability. And then in between that 15 and 15 is a 70% uh, majority who know it and do absolutely nothing. Terrible, terrible circumstances, man. Uh, you know, it's just me here tonight. Scotty is sick with the flu. Uh, we're praying for his health to return. Johannan's in training uh, with his uh, job at this time, and he'll return next week at this time on New Abolitionist Radio. So we've got some extra uh, moments. If you have any questions or comments, just unmute yourself, state your name, your comment, and uh, I'll do my best to answer it. There is a question I do want to try to answer before the night is over as well. Um, so I'll take this opportunity. If you have a question or a comment, 
Just open up your mic and say who it is and what it is. All right, no problem. Um, I wanted to give some updates on the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington. I've been recently in contact with some champions of the causes in politics. We reported here uh, about Senator Lena Taylor, for instance. Senator Lena Taylor um, is out of Wisconsin, and she has been fighting to remove the exception clause from the Wisconsin State Constitution now for quite some time. This is something that is very dear to her heart, and she uh, is very certain that there is no reason for Wisconsin to have a constitution that says slavery prohibited except for prisoners duly convicted. Only find that half the states of the nation have that very same or similar language in their constitutions. And it went so far as to have uh, PolitiFact check out whether or not she was right or wrong. And uh, I'll read some of the story, and then I'll tell you a little bit about Senator Lena, Lena Taylor and her participation in the Million Prisoners March. Senate, uh, State Senator Lena Taylor has made a promise for when the Wisconsin legislation starts its next session in January 2017, which just passed. She said, I am reintroducing my slavery ban, the Milwaukee Democrat declared, which suggests that slavery can be legal in Wisconsin, a claim we want to check, said PolitiFact. Here's more of what Taylor said while making the pledge October 13, 2016, in an opinion column headline, Legalized Slavery in Wisconsin. We'll post that on New Abolitionist Radio so you can read it. They say there is absolutely no compelling reason for the state of Wisconsin to allow slavery, period. Taylor wrote on Madison365.com, a site devoted to the Madison area's communities of color. But did you know it's still allowable under Wisconsin law as long as it's a punishment for crime? She added, I don't care what you do or who you are, nobody deserves a life of enslavement. Nobody gets to own another person. I hope we can all agree on that. In practice, this amendment allows our prisons to exploit incarcerated individuals and force them to work without pay. Now, I need to be clear on one thing. Wisconsin's Department of Correction does not currently use slave labor, but they could, and they would fully be within their rights to do so. So, is slavery legal in Wisconsin as long as it's punishment for a crime? Here's the answers. Surprisingly, slavery was repeatedly in the news in Wisconsin in 2016. More surprisingly, each time it was due to a candidate for the state Supreme Court. Liberal State Appeals Court Judge Joanne Poppenberg, who was running against conservative justice Rebecca Bradley for the high court, misspoke by saying at a candidate forum that Abraham Lincoln had slaves. I don't remember what I was thinking when I said it, she said later. During the campaign, it was revealed that Bradley, while in college, writing for his student newspaper, compared the practice of abortion to the Holocaust and slavery. Governor Scott Walker later appointed lawyer Daniel Kelly to the Supreme Court. In his application, Kelly included a writing in which he said, Affirmative action and slavery differ, obviously, in significant ways. But it's more a question of degree than principle, for they both spring from the same taproot. Now, let's see how Taylor's slavery statement stacks up on the truthometer, Wisconsin Constitution. To back her claim, Taylor cites the Wisconsin Constitution, which was approved by state voters in 1848. It says, Section 2 of Article 1, entitled Slavery Prohibited. There shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in this state 
otherwise than for the punishment of a crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. Taylor says she will introduce a constitutional amendment that would end Section 2 in at the word state. If the amendment passes the legislature, which is controlled by Walker's fellow Republicans in the next two legislative sessions, it will go to voters in a referendum in 2020. Wisconsin Section 2 essentially mirrors the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which allegedly abolished slavery. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So, both constitutions ban slavery, but they specify an exception for the punishment of a convicted criminal. Two Marquette University law professors whose specialties include constitutional law told us it is lawful for the Wisconsin Department of Corrections to force prison inmates to work without pay, but it's not absolute. You can read the rest of this here, but I'll get down to their rating, and they say, referring to prison inmates, Taylor said slavery is still allowable under Wisconsin law as long as it's is punishment for a crime. Prison inmates are at own, and they cannot be forced into labor based on skin color. But slavery can also be considered as being forced into unpaid labor. And Wisconsin does have the legal authority to require inmates to work for no pay, although in practice it does so only when inmates violate prison rules. And their political uh, meter says nearly all true. And that's just the state of Wisconsin. There are states that are so much worse where they do use commercial prison labor, like the state of California, that has, to the best of our knowledge, as many as 30 factories built into their prisons and uses everything from labor for commercial goods to having youths in detention facilities and people in prisons fight forest fires for less than $2 a day. Well, we're coming up on our next break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to open up the phone lines one more time, and then we're going to get into our final stories and then our final segments. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on the Black Talk Radio Network with Max Parthas. Our co-host will be back next week. We're going to take a few minutes break, and we'll be right back after this message. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio not, Network Scotty. for podcasts and live program scheduling. Well, Visit as I mentioned earlier, Black Talk Scotty Radio looks sick today, so he may be away from the line. There we go. Go ahead, Max. I already played it. Oh, you already played it. I, I couldn't hear it. I'm sorry, Scotty Reed. I uh, apologize for that. Um, so as I was saying about Senator Lena Taylor, I talked to her office just a couple of days ago asking for her support for the Millions of Prisoners March on Washington. And her office told me that they would be more than willing, that this is something that's very close to her heart. She is unfortunately uh, scheduled for something on August the 19th, the actual day of it, but she's going to provide us with a video endorsement as well as a letter of endorsement and assist us in any way that she can. That was from Senator Lena Taylor. So it's not like we don't have this type of support within the halls of politics. The same thing can be applied to our former guest, uh, Representative from Missouri, uh, Brandon Ellington, who also said this very same thing. Max, 
I'm with you 100%. And he is going to be one of our speakers at the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington. He was the first uh, state representative that I'd ever seen who stood up on a stage at the same day that I was there as one of the speakers and proudly told people that he is trying to end slavery and that this is slavery. So they're not just the only two. There are many more out there. And if you're listening right now and you're in a position in politics and you want to support this, just contact us here at New Abolitionist Radio or reach out to Crystal Roundtree, who is one of the uh, the lead organizer for the march. You can find her at I am we Ubuntu.com. That's I, the letter, M A M W E. U-B-U-N-T-U dot com. And just send her a message, please. We need your support, and the time is now. All right. Um, let me check our phone lines over here and see if we have anybody who is unmuted at the moment. Uh, if give the opportunity for anybody that might want to share uh, any news or ask any questions. I see we don't. All right. So I'll go on to my next uh thing that I want to mention is I've been reaching out to a lot of people for support for the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington. And one of the people that I reached out to was the office of Brian Stevenson, who we spoke of here on the Abolitionist Radio before. He's the founder of Equal Justice Initiative. And he has put a lot of work into exposing what's happening throughout our prison systems across America. And he's stationed in Alabama. And I've been reaching out to them. I think I've called their office like five times now, asking just to speak to them for five minutes. And the last message I got was from uh, one of his uh, assistants, uh, Mr. Warren, who told me, you know, Mr. Stevenson gets five to 700 requests or emails a day. And it's going to be very difficult to put anybody in, you know, in a priority line for this. And I had to tried to explain to Mr. Warren that we're doing what Brian Stevenson asked us to do. You know, I spoke to him personally in Columbia, South Carolina, and it's available on video. And this is what he asked us to do. So if we're doing what he asked us to do, why shouldn't you be available to come and speak at that time? I mean, I'm just saying that he's harder to get than a senator. He's harder to get than a congressman. And uh, they asked us to send them detailed letters uh, asking exactly what we want him to do and uh, so on and so forth. And we will. And hopefully uh, it will not get lost in that five to 700 emails a day that he receives. I will keep asking until we get this brother who knows more than just about anybody else in the country to come here and stand with us doing what he asked us to do and speak out. So that's an update on some of the things that have been happening in the uh Millions for Prisoners March. One more that I'd like to point out is we just recently received the news that the Republic of New Africa will also be joining the march and supporting the march 100%. The Republic of New Africa goes all the way back to 1968, and it's a, a black nationalist organization uh, uh, that was created on the premise that an image should be created out of states like South Carolina, Georgia, Louisiana which were considered subjugated lands. As far as I know, many of their members are now political prisoners who were subjects of COINTELPRO. And when they found out about what we're doing with this march on Washington, uh, they decided that this is something they want to stand behind. So the Republic of New Africa will also be supporting this. 
Scotty, I know you don't feel uh, very well at all, but uh, if you want, you can always type something out if there's anything you want to add or a question you might want to ask or something like that. All right. No problem, Scotty Reed. Well, I want to uh, get on to our next story, but I'm ha oh, here we are. I'm having a little bit of problem with my computer. Just give me a second, guys. There we go. All right. There was another article that came out as well, talked about a lot of the problems that we deal with as regards to harsh criminal sentencing uh, for people who have been convicted of the most mundane crimes and receiving life sentences. This came out of the ACLU.org, uh, and I want to—I can't possibly read all of it, but I will put it on New Abolitionist Radio for our researchers to be able to check it out. It's called A Living Death, Life Without Parole for Nonviolent Offenses. You know, we're trying to fight this narrative that everybody who's in a prison or a jail belongs in there. But that is certainly not the case. And particularly, this uh, lays it out in detail with stories of how people are being put into prisons for life for things as simple as shoplifting for $5 worth of material or having a joint in your pocket. They say about 79% of the 3,278 prisoners serving life without parole were sentenced to die in prison for nonviolent drug crimes. How can you possibly... Consider that justice when you're putting someone to die in prison for a nonviolent drug crime. One of those examples would be uh, Dickie Joe Jackson, 55, who served 17 years in, of a life without parole sentence because he transported and sold methamphetamine to pay for a life-saving bone marrow transplant and other medical treatments for his son. They have a long, long list of these things. Uh, throughout there, so you could take a look at it. Uh, I'll post it up as soon as possible. As I said, this is something that those who want to research this in the deeper or get a better understanding of what's going on here can uh, find out about it. Now, Scotty, I sent you a link uh, in our chat, I believe, earlier, which is a uh, video. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Yes, it's a, a video where I had a conversation with Ricky Kidd out of Kansas City. And he asked me to help get his story out. And I, I was hoping to be able to do some of that tonight and to share with you some of his poetry. It's only a couple of minutes long, but I just want to give you a forward so you know what you're listening to. And, Scotty, I'm posting it on New Abolitionist Radio so you can have access to it very easily right now. There it is. Um, as I said earlier in the program, Ricky Kidd was arrested for a murder he did not commit. He had one of the best excuses you can imagine. At the time that the crime was occurring, he was at the police office registering his gun. At the exact same time, you couldn't ask for a better alibi than to be surrounded by cops, filling out paperwork while the crime you're being accused of is occurring. He was ripped from his family, and even the people who uh, were actually convicted as part of the crime said he had nothing to do with it. And he's able to prove his case, and even the prosecutor and the chief of police and all these people say he's innocent and yet he's still sitting in the prison rotting. So check him out at freerickykid.com and Ricky here is your poetry. We're going to play it on New Abolitionist Radio so our listeners can hear what you have to say.
Are you able to to uh, do it, Scotty? There you go. Are you talking to me, Max? Are you, um, are you talking to me, hear, Max? Hear, I'm not hearing anything at the moment. I don't know if it's just me. Um, what what's the issue, Max? It's on New Abolitionist Radio. The okay, video what, that's there. That? I want to play it. Okay. Well, Max, can we forego any any kind of videos? I'm not in a position to play those. I I had sent you a message about that earlier. About YouTube videos? Yes. Yeah, I, it's, Max, it's, I'm lying on my. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, but I'm saying I'm lying on my back here, dog. I'm sick as hell. Oh. And I'm saying, man, that's why I asked you not to have me getting up. You know, you were lying, literally lying on your back. Okay, brother, no, no problem, man. All right. Um, what I'll do is we've got 20 minutes left, just enough time to either take a phone call or do one more story and then go into our final segments. Uh, so if you have uh, a question you'd like to ask or a comment, now would be the time to unmute yourself, state your name, and your comment, and we'll cover that. All right. Um, I guess then I'll go on to our next story. Um, our next story comes out of the slate.com. And it's by Larry Schwartzall and Abby Shafroth. And it's titled, Extended Sentence. The formerly incarcerated are facing crippling prison debt when they get out, and it needs to stop. When David Silver returned from 2006 from serving 38 months in New Jersey State Prison for offenses related to his substance abuse, he faced more than $35,000 in debt. He didn't owe this money to private creditors. He was in debt to the government for his prosecutions and stints in prison. Silva's debt for use of the criminal justice system include public defender fees, various surcharges that went to things such as police uniforms and drug use prevention and probation supervised supervision fees, as well as re, uh, restitution and fines. Silva's debts also include about $10,000 for substance abuse treatment he received in prison. Though he was working full-time when he got out, the amounts owed were crushing and were a barrier to meeting his basic needs. His debts also precluded him from getting a driver's license, which only made it harder for him to get back to his feet. Silver ultimately filed for bankruptcy. This path from prison to bankruptcy is all too common. As policymakers across the country increasingly move towards rethinking mass incarceration, the excessive costs imposed on criminal defendants remain roadblocks to people seeking to transition back to their communities. And I might mention, uh, as I said earlier, these are violations of our Constitution that are happening all the times. Uh, this one would be a, uh, I guess you would call it the uh, Eighth Amendment violation because of the excessive fees and fines that you know these people could never pay and literally leads them right back into prison. Even a decade after Silver left prison and on the other side of bankruptcy proceedings, the burden imposed by criminal justice debt lingers. His efforts to move out of his old neighborhood to a community with lower crime rates was for years stimulated by landlords who balked at his credit report. When he could finally obtain a car loan, he paid an inordinately high interest rate due to his debts. Silver's experiences highlights an increasingly fundamental fact 
about encounters with the criminal justice system long after a formal sentence ends, the punishment continues. As the story shows, a criminal sentence is no longer a single, singular penalty pronounced by a judge as a proportionate response to a criminal conviction. These convictions often spark a cascade of economic consequences that persist for years and years after the formal sentence is over and threatens a person's ability to successfully and self-sufficiently re-enter society. These debts force individuals to navigate a maze of onerous systems and actors, criminal courts and prisons, but also private debt collectors, DMVs, credit reporting companies and bankruptcy courts. As the country saw in Ferguson, Missouri, these types of financial punishments can also have a pernicious influence on the policing of the communities. They incentivize law enforcement agencies to focus their policing tactics on raising revenue. This is what happened in Ferguson, and because those revenue-raising practices targeted black residents, they contributed to a fundamental breakdown of trust between police and community. Ferguson represents an essential stark example, but it is not unique. Such methods distort criminal justice practices all across the country. You can read the rest of this story also on New Abolitionist Radio. We'll get it up there as soon as possible. There was one point of it where they was talking about how it erodes trust. I don't give a damn about trusting a cop. Erode trust don't mean nothing to me. What about eroded lives? Just like the other story that we talked about, for some reason we never want to point at the lives being destroyed. We don't even notice their suffering. And that is something that I've found to be common now, that our suffering is beneath notice. We're not a priority. We don't even exist in their eyes. We're just numbers. How many numbers are gonna lo- we're going to lose? How many numbers are we going to ca- gain? And when you live your life under that type of sword that can fall on you at any moment, it is extremely stressful. It's extremely damaging to your psyche. It can lead to depression and suicide and hopelessness and all the bad things you can imagine. I don't know about you, but I'm a father of six. I've raised 10. I've got 15 grandchildren. Do you think I enjoy sitting down with my grandchildren and my children and saying to them, one out of three of you is going to prison? That's what can be expected. Five of my grandchildren are going to prison? I don't think so. I'm going to fight with everything I have to bring these things to light and to end this system of slavery and human trafficking, which is not about justice, but all about control. It's not about rehabilitation. It's all about profit. As we mentioned earlier, people are being put into solitary confinement, not because they did wrong, but because they were pushed to do wrong so they could be put there in order to get an extra $28,000 a year for them being in solitary confinement. This is a terrible, terrible crime against humanity on a level that is biblical. And I say that because the numbers are very simple. Two and a half million in prisons, static number, 13 million going through our jails every year, just flowing through it like an ocean, 8 million on probation or parole and being monitored, and that doesn't even take into account the immigration facilities or the juvenile detention facilities. Never in the history of humanity have we seen something on this scale that we're looking at right now, and it certainly has to, has to end. Well, there's that story, and there's my thoughts on it. Um, be sure 
you check out the links on New Abolitionist Radio so you can see for yourself and look deeper into detail. I'm not talking out my behind. These are things that are all backed up by truth and facts. I just wish that our Department of Justice uh, could actually do something other than shake their finger at people who are destroying lives. These are constitutional violations on a scale that is unbelievable. And yet, we're more concerned at this point uh, with immigration than we are with slavery. And I feel personally some kind of way about that because I feel like what we're dealing with is the white moderates that King spoke of who always tell us, wait for a better time. There is no better time. And justice delayed is justice denied. Um, I'm trying to find our next segment here on our list, which will be our rider of the 21st century Underground Railroad. Uh, again, we have one this week that's a little bit different than we normally do. Normally we'll have someone who uh, has been brought out by groups like the Innocence Project or other advocates, but in this circumstance, it's a man who just simply finally got his freedom. And if you just hold on for a moment, I should be able to pull it up shortly. Um, you know I had these computer problems, man. I'll be working on shoestring budgets, you know. My computer is a, a baskus, and I've just got to move all my little balls around there to get it right. Okay. Lord have mercy. Max Parth is all by himself. You know, I'm looking forward to next week when hopefully Scotty's feeling a lot better. And Brother Johanan is here with us as well. And uh, Scotty, it's, uh, you know, it hurts me to know that you're still so ill, man. I, recently I was telling somebody that I want to thank God for you personally for what you have done to bring these issues to light when no others would do it. And Black Talk Radio Network for the efforts through that network that have accomplished so much in so little time. I don't know if you can hear me on that one, but definitely, brother, that's how I'm feeling about it. And I'm still scrolling through this page um, over here and cannot find our writer. You guys have to pardon me today for being a little bit out of touch. You need to have somebody else to talk while I do these things. Um, <laughs> but today is not that. You know what I'm going to do, Scotty, is I'm going to skip our rider. I'll find it later and put it on the page Wasn't it a so people can see it. And I'll go in our last 10 minutes directly to our abolitionist program. Yeah, Max, I heard you, and I appreciate um, those comments. Wasn't the rider a political prisoner or former Panther that got released? Yes. Yes, uh, I, I just can't seem to find it on our list here for some reason. I don't know if the, the tree is closed up and I don't see where it's closed up or not, but I just can't seem to locate it there. Yeah, that tree will collapse. If you'll probably find it in, um, there's a link that says uh, uh, other comments or something like that. Yeah, because you post a lot, man, so it, it collapsed probably. Yeah, oh, okay, I see show other comments, yep. But as I said, we only got 10 minutes left, so it's uh, probably better that I simply just move on to our rider of the underground, I mean, our, our abolitionist in profile, and I can put our rider up on the website so people can take a look at, at it. Uh, so and with that being said, our abolitionist in profile this week is going to be the Honorable Frederick Douglass. 
and I picked him, although we've done him at least twice before, uh, primarily because yesterday was his birthday. Happy birthday, Frederick Douglass. Uh, Frederick Douglass, 1818 to 1895, was a prominent American abolitionist author and orator. Born a slave, Douglass escaped at age 20 and went on to become a world-renowned anti-slavery activist. His three biographies are considered important works of the slave narrative tradition, as well as classics of American autobiography. Douglass's work as a reformer ranged from his abolitionist activities in the early 1840s to his attacks on Jim Crow and lynching in the 1890s. For 16 years, he edited an influential black newspaper and achieved international fame as an inspiring and persuasive speaker and writer. In thousands of speeches and editorials, he levied a powerful indictment against slavery and racism, provided an indomitable voice of hope for his people, embraced anti-slavery politics, and preached his own brand of American ideals. An abolitionist writer and orator, Frederick Douglass was the most important black American leader of the 19th century. Born Frederick Augustus Washington Daly, on Maryland's eastern shore, he was the son of a slave woman and probably her white master. Upon his escape from slavery at age 20, he adopted the name of the hero of Sir Walter Scott's The Lady of the Lake. Douglas immortalized his years as a slave in Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, 1845. And I have read that, and if you have it, you should. It is crucial. This and two subsequent, subsequent autobiographies, My Bondage and My Freedom, 1855, and The Life and Times of Frederick Douglass, 1881, mark his greatest contributions to American culture. Written as anti-slavery propaganda and personal revelation, they are regarded as the finest examples of the slave narrative tradition and as classics of American autobiography. Douglas's life as a reformer ranged from his abolitionist activities in the early 1840s to his attack on Jim Crow in the 1890s. And for 16 years, he edited an influential black newspaper and achieved international fame as an orator and writer of great persuasive power. It seems here that they're repeating some of the things they said, so I'm going to skip through a little bit of it. It says, in thousands of speeches and editorials, he levied an irresistible indictment against slavery and racism provided by indomitable voice of hope for his people, embraced anti-slavery politics, and preached his own brand of American ideals. In 1850, he broke with the strictly moralist brand of abolitionism led by William Lloyd Garrison. He supported the early women's rights movements, and he gave direct assistance to John Brown's conspiracy that led to the raid on Harper's Ferry in 1859. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio would like to salute our brother and forefather, Frederick Douglass. Salute. With all of that said, I just want to point out that there was some propaganda in this very report, which came from history.com and uh, PBS. Many of the words that they were using was misleading. Um, and the one thing that they left out in the entire story was in 1888, when he uh, attended the anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation and denounced it as a fraud, a stupendous fraud against the world that uh, he explained how we had all been fooled and tricked and not only had they not ended slavery, but they had converted it into a new system which was worse than slavery in many cases. And that system grew to what we see today with the largest pr prison population 
in the history of the world, in the history of humanity, on the face of this earth ever, right now, we have it right here in America, where one in eight prisoners throughout the entire world are African American. It's terrible. Well, we're in our final minutes of the program. Um, I guess what we'll do now is, uh, I don't know how much energy you got, Scotty. Is there anything you want to say before I, I end the program with our final, our final statements? No, Max. Okay. I want to start out by thanking our guest, Robin K. Miller. Make sure you visit her website, robinkmiller.com. Pick up the book. Find out what her answer to how to fix these prisons are. So I want to thank her for being a part of it. I'd like to thank our callers, Jersey Girl and Tony Crane, for participating in the program today and helping the brother get a breath so I didn't have to talk for the whole two hours. <laughs> you know, definitely appreciate that, no doubt. And uh, I just want to close it with something simple. Uh, right now, I have been noticing the trend. Police are parking in gas stations and supermarkets and scanning everyone. This is a Fourth Amendment violation. You're not there to prevent a crime. You're hunting people now. If, you roll up, if you're sitting in a gas station for an hour just scanning people's license plates, like I witnessed personally recently and was, uh, saw a brother being arrested for such, you're going to find people. If you're looking for them, you're going to find them because there are warrants on just about everybody. Just about everybody in this country has a warrant of some kind or another on them. So this is a Fourth Amendment violation of illegal searches of their persons and it's unconstitutional and it needs to end. If you see cops parked in garages or not garages, in gas stations and shopping malls just scanning people, film them and show the world that it is happening right now because this is illegal and it has to end. And most of all, hopefully tonight, your eyes opened up to what we're dealing with and you've convinced now that what we're dealing with is slavery and human trafficking and you see yourself as an abolitionist because you can't reform a crime against humanity. You have to abolish it and that's what we're here for. And keep in mind that abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up. Lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time. Rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff poor 